We're starting a new series today for the next month, Spirit and Truth. I'm really excited about this sermon series. You will see by the end of this sermon series or sometime shortly thereafter, hopefully, we'll have some art to accompany it at some point, and not to put the pressure on those who are helping out with that, but we're going to be we're going to be having some visual reminders, you know, like out in the hallway here for our ancient future practices. We have that art that's on the wall that reminds us of the four practices of the church, word fellowship, ordinances, and prayer. And we'll have some other uh, art that's going to help us remember spirit and truth. Uh, and so we've been looking forward to this series for a while, uh, and I'm excited about it. So spirit and truth, what's that all about? You guys, do you remember the old song, um, I've Got the Joy? Really? Let me hear it. Where? Yeah, nice, yeah. And how's the chorus go? And I'm so happy, so very happy. You guys are good. Yeah, you sound great. So um, Jen and I recently have been listening. There's this set of CDs that came out where this band called Page 116, I think it's called. Uh, It's a, a... band named after uh, a hymn page, and they take old hymns and they redo the hymns, and they do great work, beautiful stuff. Well, one of the songs that they actually redid was that song, okay? And it's the only song in all four of the albums that they have out that we really don't like. You know, I like that, I like that song, but I, their revision of it is a little crazy. I want you to hear it. Okay. I've got the joy, 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 joy down where? <laughs> really? <laughs> All right, you can turn it off. Please stop. Make it stop. <laughs> and it's like addictive too because like it'll be one of those ones where we'll be sitting there, you know, making dinner or something and all of a sudden Jen will be like, I've got the... And I'll be like, no, stop. It's creepy. <laughs> it's funny. I'm like, there's something about that song... The words, the truth of that song are great, but somehow the spirit doesn't match the words, right? And they did that intentionally. When you get to the new chorus they put in there, you find out why they did it. But it's still not working for me. In first service, we were talking about it, and Dave Ziegler was sitting over here, and he's like, that ain't it, man. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, that's about right. But So we're talking about spirit and truth. I mean, there's the heart of what's underneath things, and then there's the technicality of the words, you know. And we can say certain words, but say them in the wrong spirit. And then are we really saying it? You know, it can be misleading. It's like if one of the siblings has to say they're sorry to the other sibling. Sorry. You know, like, I don't think you're really saying you're sorry. Like, I hear the words coming out of your mouth, but I, I'm not feeling the sorry factor, you know? And, uh, you know, but then it can go the other way too, right? Where we can have the right spirit and the right heart, but we don't get the, the technicality of the truth, and that's no good. I can have all the right intention for the person. Uh, the other day I was out for a run, and some girl was driving by in her car, and she stops the car as I'm coming past her on the, on the run, and, and she says, hey, can you tell me how to get to the dairy? And I was like, I'm in the middle of my run. <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, you know, I started giving her directions to Cobb's farm store. And then, like, she's like, I don't think, I think it's on Cedarville Road that I'm trying to get to. And I'm like, oh, like Cobb's farm. And so, like, I had to give her different directions. I could have had all the right, like, you know, all the, the right intention with her and been as nice as could be. But if I give her the wrong road names, she's not getting there. 
You know what I mean? And so, like, sometimes it's not just the spirit that matters. It's the truth that matters. You know, when the, the rocket, NASA's about to launch some rocket into space, and there's guys who are sitting in the cockpit of that thing ready to go, you know, the intention and the heart of the engineers who put the rocket together really doesn't matter at that point. The truth matters, you know? The integrity of the ship is what matters. Yeah, who cares what, you know, what they were feeling or thinking or what their intentions were? It matters if they got it right. And, you know, both sides of the thing are really important. And we can tell when we get into communication with each other, this is really important, isn't it? I mean, think about, like, in the deepest moments of people relating to each other. If someone says, I love you, to another person, well, that could go all sorts of ways, couldn't it? I mean, what you say, whether you say, I care about you, I like you, I I have feelings for you, I love you, I love you like a brother, I love you differently than a brother, you know, like all of those different things around the word I love you mean different things, but then there's also the spirit underneath of it, you know? And the spirit is that, you know, I could say, yeah, I love you too. Or, you know, I could look at my wife and, you know, in the right moment and say I love you and it means something completely different, you know? And so the spirit and the truth, really matter. And the more deeply we get into our lives and, and, the, and, and the more integral the, the, the issue is that we're going through into our lives, the more important it is to have both spirit and truth. If you get on a car, if you buy a new car, say you buy, give me your, your dream car. Somebody give me a dream car. You guys don't have any dream cars? Somebody help me out. A dream car. What is it? All right, so a charger. All right, so you get your charger. And this is like, this is a top-of-the-line charger. It's got, it's totally got everything in it, you know, every, every uh, feature in it. So you go and you get the manual. And this thing has like, this has nitrous in it, you know. <laughs> it has all sorts of things in it, you know. And it has the supercharger. And you learn about all the features and all the different things that it has. And you get the manual out and you read all about it. Do you know your charger now? Well, you know about your charger, but you don't know your charger until you take it around a turn and see what it does and what that steering wheel does when it's chattering around the corner because you're going so fast. Don't do that. And, uh, you, you know, so knowing your charger is different than knowing about your charger. And, and, and you, you know about something by learning the facts, by learning the truth all about it. And then you know it by experiencing it and working with it. And this is the way it is in our relationship with God, isn't it? I mean, it's like the difference between reading a biography and having a relationship. And if you read the biography, it might tell you things about the person you have a relationship with that you didn't know, and it might help you understand that person more. But on the other hand, if, if you read the biography, you know about the person, but you don't know the feel of it. You don't, you don't see the expression on their face when they're going through that stuff. You, know? you don't know what they smell like after that game. You know, and, and so the, the, there's, there's a whole different thing between knowing something and knowing about something. And that's the difference between spirit and truth. You know, both are very, very important. We need the truth in order to understand these things that we're experiencing. And in order to actually be able to take all the truths and put them in the right order and come up with something that we relate to, we actually need to encounter God, you know. And so the spirit and the truth are both uh, extremely important in our relationship with God. And when it comes to the terms spirit and truth, uh, where we really get that, uh, primarily is from John chapter four, which is our text for today. And I am going to have you stand in honor of God's word as we read it. So John chapter four, starting in verse one, please. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. 
Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came over to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Your father worships on this, your, our father worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Your Samaritans worship, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Awesome words, aren't they? Amazing, amazing words. You can have a seat. Join me in prayer, please. God, your word is bread and your spirit is water. And we want to eat and we want to drink together today. So help us to do that, please, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Jesus is down in, Gal- or down in Judea, and things are going really well down in Jerusalem. Like, the ministry's kind of taken off. Things are going really well. And uh, as far as we're concerned, you know, like, there's followers. Things are going great. People are getting baptized. Ministry's going. But Jesus, as he always does, kind of defies all of that, and he slides out, you know. And he never seems to be trying to build a crowd. He's always interested in accomplishing something else. And so he pulls out of Judea. He knows his time to engage Jerusalem and all of that isn't here yet. So he starts heading back up to Samaria. And as he, head, or he starts heading back up to Galilee, like to Capernaum, uh, his old home base. And as he's heading up, it says that he must go through Samaria, which is really interesting because he doesn't, you know, like 
unless there was a detour that we don't know about, you know, it doesn't, the, the road didn't actually require him to go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, Jews often would totally skip Samaria, usually would totally skip Samaria in order to go back up north because they didn't want anything to do with Samaria because the Samaritans were, that was the other side of the tracks and they considered them very dirty and they considered that them to be, they called the Samaritans dogs. They were like those people who had inbred with the nations around them like they weren't supposed to and now they were unclean. You know, that was the, kind of, the whole feel. So you even saw in the text here, they don't associate with the Samaritans. But Jesus had said, he must go through Samaria. Well, why? It doesn't really tell us, but we assume because God had a plan for him. The Father had a plan for him. And perhaps the reason he's going up, the reason he must be there, is because there's an appointment that he has at a well with a woman. You know, And so he has to go back up through Samaria. So he walks up through Samaria, and it's about noon, uh, middle of the day. It says it's the sixth hour, so it's about noon, and which is important, by the way, what time of day it is. So he goes and he sits down at the well and there's this woman who shows up and his disciples go and they go to get some food. But while he's at the well, this woman comes up and uh, he says, hey, can I have something to drink? Which Jesus, just by going through Samaria, has already broken the social rules. You know, he's already gone into the area he shouldn't be in. And now this woman comes out. And, you know, men and women didn't associate like that in public uh, back then, let alone Jews and Samaritans, let alone this rabbi. And, you know, and so they're worlds, worlds apart. And Jesus engages her and says, can you give me something to drink? Um, you know, I, I, there's, there's one point to be made here before we move on. And that's that, you know, when, when we have social constructs and, and rules and boundaries about how we interact with each other, don't we? You know, unwritten rules. You know, there's no laws about the fact that, like, uh, you know, at... 10.30 at night, you don't just show up in my house and ask to come hang out at 10.30 at night. There's no written law about that. There's also no written law that, like, when you meet someone for the first time, you don't walk up and give them a big hug and kiss, you know? There's no written law about that. There's no written law that when you see somebody for the first time, you don't spill your whole life story to them. There's no written laws about those things, but there is kind of social rules that we have around those things. That like this is we feel is appropriate. This is we feel is inappropriate. And Jesus is very much breaking the rules at this point. You know, he's, he's all the all the rules are he's kind of throwing out the door here. And, you know, sometimes that just has to happen, doesn't it? You know what I have very rarely encountered, if ever, is someone who's sitting in their house just waiting for me to come to their house and share the gospel with them, you know? Or someone who's at work who's like, man, I wish that my, the guy who's sitting next door to me would just come and tell me about John chapter 3 or Romans chapter 6 and tell me about the plan to salvation. I don't think that there's, there, very rarely is there a time in our society in this day and age when a person will ever feel that it's appropriate for me to share my faith, technically the doctrine of my faith with them. Can you think of a time when someone's just like, now's the time, share this with me. I mean, if there is, it's after long, long periods of relationship, right? And, and so anything short of that is, it just feels awkward to people. But Jesus doesn't really seem to mind awkward right now. Awkward isn't, it, it doesn't concern him. You know, we are so concerned with awkward, aren't we? We get really concerned with the whole like, that's awkward, you're weird. 
You know, like, don't step across that line yet. And, and we even define morality sometimes. Like, that's right or wrong. And we get angry at people because they step across that. But Jesus breaks down all the, like, social right or wrongs in order to do the real right or wrong. And sometimes we have to just be okay with that. You know, we have to be okay with Jesus violating our privacy as if he didn't know. And sometimes we need to be okay with violating each other's privacy. You know, sometimes people have been really hurt. And they're shelled up and they're hard. And they don't want to be accessed because they've been hurt. And that's the way this woman is. But Jesus is just going to break through. You know? He's just going to break through. But she's not going to go down without a fight. So this is how it goes. So he says, can I have a drink? And, and of course, she just ribs him. I mean, here's, here's the way I picture this. Is that she gets the, the water out and she gives him the cup. And gives him something to drink. It doesn't actually say that. But later on you say, it would, he says, it would have gone the other way had you known. And so I kind of get the picture that she gets the cup. She gives him the cup of water. And then she kind of looks at him. And she's like, so uh, what's with you asking me for a drink? You know, big Jewish rabbi, you got thirsty. And now all of a sudden you can ask me for a drink. I'm not a dog anymore because you're thirsty. You know, and you can get, that's kind of, it, it feels like where she's going. Hey, how are you going to ask me for a drink? Remember, I'm a dog, you know? And, and now that you need me, I'm fine or whatever. And I love how badly Jesus is breaking protocol here because it's not only that he's going through Samaria, it's not only that he's talking to this woman, but like he doesn't have a cup, right? We find out later on that he doesn't have a cup. So whose cup is he drinking from? Oh, man. Like, it's just, like, talk about, like, that's a social thing that's weird. What if you had a, you know, a a bottle of Mountain Dew sitting there next to you and, you know, somebody came over and just grabbed it and unscrewed it and started hitting that, you know, like you're like, get your lips off my bottle, you know, and uh, that is kind of like Jesus asks her for a drink of water and she gives him the cup and this is the Samaritan woman, dirty woman, you know, and he's drinking out of her cup, you know, that's it. And, and she's like, what do you think you're doing? Like, this is okay now all of a sudden, you know? And, and she calls him out on that. And, and if we're followers of Christ and we go in and we try to love people and we try to tell them the truth, guaranteed that people will call us out on it. Guaranteed. Who do you, what do you think you're doing? You're so weird, you know? This happens in my neighborhood to me all the time. You know? <laughs> you're weird, I know. But I got a, I got a card. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'm supposed to be weird. You know, the rest of you, sorry. All right, so... Um, it didn't work for Jesus. He was a rabbi, and she was still calling him out on being weird because everyone was kind of religious, so that didn't really matter back then. So then what she says, after, after she says that, Jesus responds, and he says, I love this. He says, yeah, but if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, what is he saying? There's two layers to this word gift here. I mean, one is just the idea of the gift, the grace, the favor. If you knew that God loved you, if you knew that God liked you, like, like seriously, if you could get the heart of God right now, if you knew how he felt about you, you'd be seeing this situation completely differently. You'd be able to access what it is that God's giving to you right now. But you can't actually see it. You can't see it yet. You didn't know what was going on because you didn't know the gift of God. And what's more is this gift, just a chapter before, just a day or two, I don't know how many days before it was, but the chapter right before when he was down in Judea, he was hanging out with some guy in the middle of the night named Nicodemus, and that's in John chapter 3. And when you get to verse 16 of John chapter 3, there's a verse that we all know, right? And what does it say? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. 
Okay, that he gave. There's a gift. And what did he give? His only begotten son. So here is the gift, the only begotten son who's at the well. And he said, if you knew the gift of God, you know, if you knew that God loved you, that he liked you, and that that gift of him giving himself to you is right here in front of you, then you would have been asking me for a drink. And I would have given you living water. She's not there yet. She doesn't get what's going on yet. And so she's like, how in the world are you going to give me a drink? I, and, and this is what I really love about this. Is like, I kind of get this feel that she's like, oh, you're not the first guy who's told me that he's a gift to me. You know? Like, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, God's gift to me. You know? And so here's another guy who's got ego, comes in and thinks he's the big gift. You know? Yeah, yeah, okay. You don't even have a cup to draw water from the well. I'm the one in the middle of the day dipping the water down, pulling it out, giving you a cup of water, but you're the gift, okay? All right, that's, and, 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 and you can feel the banter, still feel the tension. And, and she says, unless, of course, you're greater than, you know, Jacob, our father, who drank from this well, maybe you're greater than him and can just have water flowing out. And Jesus responds to that. And he says, actually, you know, Jacob's well is cool and all, but you come here and you keep coming back and keep coming back because when you drink this water, it doesn't satisfy you enough. But I got water, you drink it once and you'll never go thirsty again. In other words, yes, I am greater than Jacob. You know, my water is far better than Jacob's. You know, when he says this, she takes the bait. Jesus, get, you know, Jesus dangles out there, gives her something. Hey, this would be, you know, you'd never be thirsty again. Well, well, she's coming and she's like, all right, well, I, you know, I get sick of coming out here to the well. So if I don't have to come to the well anymore, I'll take the bait. I'll take it. Sure. If you have water that'll make me never thirst again, please give it to me. And Jesus now has her on the hook because he has her interest about something that she wants. She wants her life to be a little easier. She wants, you know, to not have to be thirsty. She wants to not have to come to the well. So I'll take that. That's a great gift. I'll take the gift. But see, she's getting the spirit of Jesus at this point, that he wants to give her something. And on a spirit level, she's kind of like open. But Jesus, you can't get the spirit of Jesus with also, without also having the truth. And so Jesus starts to probe into the truth. And so what he says is, okay, I'll give it to you, but go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, that is true. He says, what you have said is true. That's the word he uses, okay? Truth. There's the truth. So we just found the truth, okay? The truth is, is that you don't have a husband. You had five, and the one you're with now is no longer your husband. In other words, your life has not conformed to truth, okay? Your life is not living in the truth, at this point, I love her response. What's her response to him? Uh, I can see that you're a prophet, okay? You know what's really cool is it kind of seems like, duh, you know, of course you're a prophet. But you know what the funny thing is? Is that in our world, like, that type of thing can happen, and people will be like, so who's the investigator you hired to find that information out from? You know, how did you know that? Our instant reaction when we see the supernatural happen is to get skeptical and to try to figure out how it happened, you know? But the funny thing is you go to the third world, 
You know, you go into the third world and there's some demonic exorcism or you go into the third world and you see some miraculous thing happen and no one's asking whether or not it was legit. They might ask whether that was from the spirit of God or from a dark spirit, but it's just understood that the spiritual world is alive and well. And this woman who's a broken kind of down to earth woman, real stuff, you know, for her, this guy just called out her life and she didn't get skeptical about it. She didn't say, you know, how'd you figure it out? She just names it right off the bat. Okay, I got it. You busted me. You're a prophet, you know, and she just names it. But it doesn't end there. She's not all of a sudden signing off on the Jesus card. She still holds her guard up. What does she do next? Look at your text if you have it in front of you. What does she do next after she says that he's a prophet? Verse 19 says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. What happens after that? Yeah, okay. So she says, yeah, but you're a Jew. Okay? In the first service, someone else said, yeah, but you worship at that church. And I was like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, but you worship at that church. What she does is, I can see you're a prophet, but prophet, you belong over there. Get off of my well. I've had about enough of you, you know? Like, I can see you obviously know me and you got something going on, but you're one of those people over there. Why don't you stay down in Judea? Why don't you stay at Mount Zion? You're up here in Mount Gerizim in the land of the Samaritans. So as much as you can see me, I don't know what your angle is right now, but you belong over there and I belong over here. And why do you keep trying to break through this barrier right now? To which Jesus says, and, and, and what she says, she says, we worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And she says, our father worshiped there, which is Jacob. He had this worship experience there. She's like, but you Jews are always condemning us, saying we should be worshiping down there when Jacob himself worshiped here. You know, he had this worship experience here, but you're saying we have to worship down there, you know, in, in, on Mount Zion. And, uh, and then Jesus responds very interestingly. He says, you know, a day's coming when you won't, won't worship at Mount Gerizim and you won't worship at Mount Zion. Okay, that all, that's, that's all going to change. But, but let me tell you something. And he takes her back to truth again. And he says, here's the truth, is that you were supposed to be worshiping in Mount Zion. That's what the scripture said. You worship what you don't know. But over here, the Jews worship what they do know because salvation comes from the Jews. They had this one right. Mount Zion was the place they were supposed to worship. And that's not an irrelevant point. It's an important piece of truth that we were supposed to know. And in the same way that your lifestyle hasn't conformed to the word of God, so your doctrine hasn't conformed to the truth of the word of God. So you're missing it on both the lifestyle side of truth and on the doctrine side of truth. You've been missing truth. And because of that, when truth came and sat down next to you at a well, your spirit couldn't receive the truth. Okay? That's, that's where she's at. And at this point, she pulls the ripcord on the conversation. She's like, I'm out. You know, I'm bailing, you know, because she realizes she's in over her head. And this is, this, is, I, this is like a conversation that, like if my boys were having a conversation with each other and say my younger, my younger guy uh, heard mom and dad say something and he told Evan, you know, this is the way it's supposed to be. And, and then Evan's like, no, it's not supposed to be that way. And he starts going back and forth. Eventually, what Colton's going to do if he feels like he's in over his head is he's going to say, he's going to say, well, dad said so. 
you know, and, you know, yeah, so you can go and talk to dad, you know, and that's how he pulls the ripcord on the conversation. That's exactly what this woman says when, when Jesus says a time will, a time is coming when you're not going to worship on this mountain or this mountain. The Jews had this one right, but God is spirit and you'll be able to worship him in spirit and truth. And all of a sudden her head's swimming and she's like, what's going on right now? And she pulls the ripcord and says, Hey, there's a Messiah coming and he's going to explain everything to us, you know? And that's her way of saying, I, don't re- I can't really hang with you right now. There seems like there's something going on there. But the Messiah is coming and he'll explain it all. I'm not really a truth girl. I hang out more in kind of the spirit side of things. And you're talking all this truth with me and I don't really get it. So I'm just going to appeal to Messiah. To which Jesus responds in a way that he hardly ever responds to anyone in all of Scripture. Every time people are trying to figure out, is he the Messiah? Can we put him on our shoulders and make him king? Can we hail him as king of the Jews and take him down to Jerusalem and have him overthrow the Roman government and this and that? And, and Jesus always evades the question. He always avoids it. He always, you know, here's the crowd wanting to either crown him king or kill him. And he kind of like slides out of the crowd and avoids the whole thing. And here's this woman in the middle of the day getting a drink from a well, not looking for anything. He engages her. He gives her a whole lot of grief about her lifestyle and about all sorts of stuff and then she's like oh my goodness man i can't even handle this we need the messiah he'll explain what you're talking about and then he says i'm the messiah and at this point you're just like wow he just said it you know he just said that he was the messiah and a couple days before he was with this religious leader nicodemus who was trying to figure it out and he never tells nicodemus You know, every time the people who are really interested in knowing the truth, are you the Messiah, he won't say it. But this woman, she doesn't really seem to care a whole lot about the truth. She cares about the spirit side of it, but he gives her the piece of truth that she needs. In order to trust me in your spirit, you need to know this piece of truth, that I'm the Messiah. And if you know that truth, then you can trust me. And if you're trusting me, then you can know that truth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed is the broken Samaritan woman, because she will see the kingdom of God. Turn the page back to uh, John chapter 3. And we just got to compare this. It's It's an amazing thing here. John chapter 3. Right at the beginning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Okay, so we'll stop there for a second. Nicodemus, just a chapter before, down in Jerusalem, at Mount Zion, the other place she's talking about where the Jews are. This is, you know, he's part of the ruling religious party and everything. And, uh, he comes and he talks to Jesus. What time of day does he come to talk to Jesus? Yeah, let's say it's 12 hours difference, okay? So let's say it was midnight that he comes and talks to Jesus. That, okay, in the heat of the day, she's talking to Jesus, but she's not looking for him. He's actually looking for Jesus, but it's the middle of the night, okay? And so here he is in the middle of the night. Why, did, why does he go at night? You know the answer to this. Why does he go at night? He's hiding. Yeah, fear. What's he afraid of? What is it? The, yeah, he's afraid of, of being seen with Jesus. He's a, he, has a, he has a reputation to uphold. He's afraid of what everyone else will think. Now, so when you look at the Samaritan woman, did she consider Jesus above her or below her? Above. 
And when he came to Nicodemus, did he see Jesus as above him or below him? Below. Okay, now what happens is, is that, you know, with this Samaritan woman, it's really interesting because she sees Jesus as above him, but he asks her for a favor in order to bring himself down to her level. Hey, can you give me a drink of water? I'm thirsty. To kind of level the playing field a little bit and to reach out to her. You know, but Nicodemus, on the other hand, he sees himself as as above Jesus. And so for him, it's a completely different thing. He's like hiding and he'll come and talk to Jesus and he wants to investigate, but he won't get low enough to actually really hear. Okay. And so what ends up happening is, is this is he's Nicodemus is all in his head. And um, so he starts to have this conversation. And I love what he says to Jesus. He says, look, we know that you're from God. Okay. Of course, he's whispering this at night. At dark, hey, we know that you're from God. Don't tell anybody, but we know, okay? We know you're from God. Um, We know you're from God. How does he know that he's from God? The miracles, yeah. He says, because, you know, I'm not dumb, basically. I'm smart enough on the truth end of things to see if there's some guy who can perform miraculous signs, then I guess he's from God. And so in his head, the truth side of it is he's doing the math. And he's, he's just at A plus B equals C. Nazareth, miracles, God. Okay? Like, it doesn't happen any other way. Okay? So he's like, I can see that. So, uh, so I'm here to investigate a little bit more. And Jesus just gives him this crazy answer. Crazy response to it. Okay, what does he say in verse 3? In reply, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, okay? I'm about to tell you some truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Did Nicodemus ask about the kingdom of God? No, he never mentioned a word about the kingdom of God. He didn't say, hey, how do you see the kingdom of God? He didn't say anything like that. All he said was, I can tell that you're from God. And you know what Jesus basically said? You have no idea what you can see. You have no idea. You think that you're smart enough to add this up and figure out what's going on, but you don't have any idea what's going on. Not one clue, because unless you are born again, you can't actually see the kingdom of God. And of course, this doesn't make any sense, does it? You know, like, just think of those words. You might have heard the religious term, born again, but before all of that, I mean, this is just some new term that Jesus puts out there. It's not even a term. This is just him using the term of birth and saying, you actually have to be born the second time. You've got to be born. And, and... Nicodemus, being all in his head, dealing on the truth side of things, is like, that doesn't make sense. And that's exactly what he says. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. In other words, Jesus, you're not making sense, which is kind of the point, right? So then in verse 5, Jesus responds, I tell you the truth. Okay, he's all about giving him another level of truth. He's dealing with him on a truth level because that's the only level that, that Nicodemus has given him right now. So that's where he's going to respond. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Okay, so... Here's this guy in the middle of the night who in his head is trying to do some, uh, some detective work to figure out this stuff that doesn't make sense to him. And he's like, huh, this is really interesting. This guy from Nazareth is doing miracles. And while everyone else is scared of him because of his power, I actually need to know in my mind whether I can trust him. I need to make sense of this. And Jesus basically is saying, look, you're not going to get the truth yet. 
And Jesus knows from the beginning that he's not born again and that he can't receive the truth. And how does he know that? How does he know that Nicodemus isn't ready to receive the truth? Any thoughts? Because he showed up at night. Because his spirit was still proud. His spirit was still afraid. His spirit was not open to receiving from Jesus. His spirit was not humble and submitted to Christ. At this point, he was still in charge and everything was up in his head. And he was saying, Jesus, if you can make enough sense to me, then I will receive you. And Jesus is saying this, if you can show up in the middle of the day, then you can have me. And you know what? Nicodemus eventually does. He shows up right in the middle of the day while Jesus is hanging on a cross. And all his friends put him there. And in the middle of that day, Nicodemus is receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. But until then, he couldn't get there. He had to break. And he had to become like a Samaritan woman. And he had to realize that he was a mess and that he was no better than Jesus. And Jesus didn't have to prove himself to him. And Jesus didn't have to explain himself to him that he needed to be a broken mess who understood that he needed Jesus. And in his heart, that he would be open to receiving Jesus in whatever form he came in, whether he was a Nazarite or whether he was a Samaritan or whatever he was, that he wasn't too good to receive Jesus in whatever form he came in. He would take him however he came and he would receive him. And it took him till the cross to get there as it takes all of us you know but some people can go a little faster because they're already in a place of brokenness and their spirit's a little more alert this is what happens to the woman at the well you see she was the middle of the it was the middle of the day when she uh encountered jesus that was not the time when people go to the well that's not when the ladies go to the well the ladies go to the well first thing in the morning but she wasn't there first thing in the morning why not she's not hanging out with the rest of the girls is she she's got a bad reputation you know She's not even cool among the Samaritans, you know? She's a mess among the Samaritans. She's a broken woman. And she shows up in the middle of the day when no one else is there. And she's a broken mess. And she's trying to keep her privacy. And here this Jewish rabbi shows up of all people when she already feels terrible about herself. So she can't even hang out with Samaritan women. And now this Jewish rabbi shows up at her well. Of course, her defenses, bam, right away. Get away from me. Arm's length. You know, I, she feels condemned enough. She feels judged enough. She knows she's messed up her life. She knows she hasn't lived according to the truth. She knows she's not 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 able to hang with the truth of all that stuff. She knows all of that. She's a broken woman. Broken woman. But she's obviously yearning for something, isn't she? Jumping from relationship to relationship, still looking for something, yearning for something. And Jesus finds her there. And Jesus finds her in the middle of the day, you know, in the brokenness. And there, he says, if you're going to actually drink the living water, we're going to need to expose the truth. And the truth is, is that, yes, the Samaritans have made some mistakes. Your doctrine's off. And yes, your life is a mess, and that's been no one's fault but yours. You've made those choices. And if you will receive that, and if you will own that, then there is a Messiah sitting with a living well right here, ready to give you everything you need and explain everything you can't understand. By the end of the day, her and her entire village have received Christ. And Jesus revealed himself to them as Messiah in a way that he would never reveal himself to the Jews (laughs) because they had an agenda for him. They knew what they wanted with the Messiah. These Samaritans, they didn't really have an agenda other than they needed to be saved. 
You know, we need this. They didn't have a political agenda. They didn't have anything else. And this woman, broken life, she's like, okay, you busted me, you know? Tell me how to get better. And he's like, I'm the Messiah. I'm right here. I'm not going to give you a manual. I'm not going to give you doctrine. I'm going to give you myself. I am he who is speaking to you. And so her spirit is able to receive Jesus. And since her heart is open to receive him, he walks her through the truth. Nicodemus is slow. He wants everything to make sense, but his heart isn't there. Eventually his heart will get there. And then all the truth will start to make sense to him. We need the spirit. We need the truth. But we don't go pursuing the truth. And we don't go pursuing the spirit. What do we go pursuing? Jesus. Jesus. See, in, 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 our, in, in, the, in the realm of faith, there are churches and there are movements and all across history that pursue the Spirit. Man, I just want to feel the Spirit, you know? I want to, I want to feel alive. I want to see the miraculous. And I want, to, I want to know what it feels like to come awake in the Spirit. And I want to have these experiences and I want to know all that. That's pursuing the Spirit. Others say, I want to know the truth, man. I want to make sure that I have my doctrine right. I want to make sure that our lifestyle is down the line. I want us to be holy, and I want us to make sure that we have things right. And if we have things right, and if we live holy, then we're good. No, if I experience God, and if I see the power of God, then we got things good. And over here, we're hanging out in prayer and worship and the power of the Holy Spirit. And over here, we're saying, no, it's the Bible, and it's the way we live, and it's our doctrines and all of that. And there's this tension in the church that you experience because we, we this is kind of our camp over here that we're we're the jews who hang out in truth or over here no we're the samaritans who have the the spirit of it all you know and in the middle of it jesus is hanging out and he's like hey is, if anyone is more interested in me than in truth or spirit then you can have both through me and so jesus finds a samaritan woman who's an outcast of the samaritans and an outcast to the Jews, and who has nothing left to lose. And she's like, hmm. By the end of the conversation, this guy found out that I'm a mess, and that I don't know anything. And I think he still actually loves me. I'm going to trust him. And to that person, Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. Trust me. I'll walk you through this one. You know. And every other person who becomes a follower of Jesus has to walk through that same journey, you know? They have to, st- there's some place of risk where they've been all in the Bible and, and no experience of God at all, you know? No prayer life has been, has been really weak or it's just been a rote thing and there's been no actual experience of God. There's only been doctrine and lifestyle. And for others, it's all been spiritual experience and trying to, to emote and, and feel all great things from God, but no truth in, in it. And, and there's, there's a risk factor for all of us, where we have to step beyond a comfort zone and where we have to experience God beyond our camp in order to know Jesus, you know? And uh, for me, I can just tell you that the greatest moments of transformation in my life have been when I've encountered people who are outside of my camp who obviously love the Lord, and I have been massively educated by those people, massively educated. And I'm like, yeah, but isn't that like that world over there that's different? And I find out, you know, No, it's about Jesus. It's not about what camp we're from. It's not about the truth camp, and it's not about the spirit camp. It's about Jesus. It's about knowing Christ. And he will take the best of all of our stuff in him, you know, and and we will find ourselves unified within Christ, inside of Christ. We find ourselves unified. Outside of him, 
Spirit, it just becomes witchcraft. Outside of him, truth, it just becomes legalism. Inside of Christ, it becomes a living, dynamic relationship with the Spirit and the truth in the form of Jesus Christ. Amen? People following Christ. PFC, people following Christ. That's what we're looking for. Let's pray.